Good morning. <clears throat> Our scripture this morning is going to be from Second Kings. Um, and I probably lost my place. There it is. Second Kings chapter 5. Um, but before we get to that, um, Jacob asked uh, a few weeks ago about having our special singing service on the fifth Sunday when I was speaking. He asked me if that was going to be okay, and, and I told him, sure, I didn't see a problem with it, but I didn't realize how powerful that was going to be. And I appreciate that service. Um, it was powerful. Um, and I've got another confession about that. Uh, I don't know if anybody else in here did, but I held back a little bit during that. Because um, a lot of those were songs that Dad really liked. Um, and so I wouldn't be a weeping mess when I walked up here. <laughs> I held back in my worship. Um, and this is really not off topic because it that speaks to what we're going to be talking about today and that is the issue of pride too many times in my life I have allowed my pride to get in the way of my worship um, in the way of repentance even because we we care about what other people think. And we don't want to look bad <clears throat> in front of other people. But you know what? At some point, other people really don't matter. What matters is our relationship with our Savior. Um, so we'll get to the passage of scripture this morning, Second Kings chapter five. Uh, we're going to be reading verses one through seventeen. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. And I'm going to stop right there. So far, everything's going great for Naaman. There's a preposition that comes next, and that word is but. <laughs> and that dreaded preposition negates everything else that was said before it. Um, I, don't, I don't know if any of the gentlemen in here have ever had the courage to tell their wife, supper was great, but... <laughs> If you have, you'll know what that word, what import that word has, because you kind of forget everything that comes before it. Naaman was, it says he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. He had everything going for him. But what's the next thing that happens? He had leprosy. Now, I don't know about 
where Naaman is from, um, obviously they don't take his take it quite as seriously as we do they do in Israel. Um, I'm sure most everybody knows in Israel, if you have leprosy, you are ostracized. You're quarantined. I'm sure that's the word everybody's familiar with now. You're made to stay away from everybody else. Not only that, but if someone gets too close to you, you have to yell, unclean, unclean. It's a terrible life to live. But in Syria, I don't guess they had such strict regulations because Naaman had a pretty good life, but he had leprosy. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, which is about 750 pounds, um, if anybody wanted to know that, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my serv servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now I'm going to stop right there one more time. Um, Something we don't need to skate past in this passage of Scripture is the servant girl. Now, she had been taken captive and brought to a land that was not her own and was a slave. I mean, she was lucky that she got to work in the house, but it doesn't change the fact that she was a slave. Now, I don't know about any of y'all, but if I had been taken captive and was a slave, I would be the most trouble that anybody had ever seen because I would constantly try to run away. But this girl wasn't like that. Not only did she stay, she wanted to help Naaman. She's the one that told Naaman's wife about Elisha. She was humble. And she wanted what was best for Naaman. Continuing to read, we'll, we'll get back to her in just a second. Uh, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your, excuse me, your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, 
I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Pafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept a, now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. Okay, I I love this story. <laughs> um, Naaman gets this letter, uh, goes to Israel, and he ends up at Elisha's house. And now we're not told how many of Naaman's servants he takes with him. There's at least two other servants because it says his servants went to him plural. But we don't know. But it was a very impressive entourage that showed up at Elisha's house. And they, you know, come wheeling in the yard. And as the Bible records, Naaman expected Elisha to come out and, I guess, do some kind of magic. Wave his hand over the spot call on God, and he would be cleansed. But that's not what he got, is it? He got a post-it note sent by a servant. <laughs> Elisha didn't even come out of the house. He told his servant, go tell him to wash seven times. My guess is Naaman is not used to being treated like this because he goes off in a huff. And I kind of feel sorry for his horse. You know, if you've ever been around horses, their mouths are very tender. And, you know, somebody who's mad, they're going to take the reins and jerk his head around and storm off. That's the image I got when I was reading this. You know, and him storming off, muttering the whole time about the rivers in Damascus and the river in Israel and. We come to the second group of people that were not only brave, but humble in this story. And those are Naaman's servants. Even though he was in a rage, he was mad, they came to him respectfully. Uh, the NIV says they call, they, they call him father, which... They were not, he was not their father, but that's a term of respect. Respectfully, they come to him and they talk sense to him. They said, look, 
you know, if he had asked you to do some great thing, you would have done that. But this simple thing, you refuse to do. And surprisingly enough, Naaman listened to him. You know, he, he understood that basically he was being a jerk. And he goes and does what Elisha said, and he dips seven times and he's cleansed. And most often when God works a miracle, that miracle is not necessarily a physical thing, but it's to change your heart. Um, when, when Naaman came up out of the water, <clears throat> and, and I hope everybody understands that this is a picture of salvation. I hope, I hope everybody understands that. Um, in the Bible, leprosy is equated with sin. Anytime you see where the Bible talks about a leper or somebody who had leprosy, and then them being cleansed, that is the same thing as the leprosy is sin. And the cleansing of that sin is equal to salvation. So Naaman goes to the river Jordan and he dips seven times and he comes up and his skin is clean. But it's more than just his skin that was cleansed. His heart was changed. And we know that because he goes back to Elisha and offers him gifts, which Elisha refuses. But he says, okay, well then fine, let me take some of the earth from Israel because I will never again offer a sacrifice to anyone other than God. So there was a change that happened in Naaman, not just physically, but spiritually. And so oftentimes that very same thing happens in the New Testament. Uh, when we see the miracles of Jesus, Yes, Jesus sometimes gives people what they want, but he always gives people what they need. What Naaman needed was not cleansing from leprosy. What Naaman needed was cleansing of his heart. Because the whole time up until his servant spoke to him, Naaman was prideful. And... You know, it's real easy to point and laugh at Naaman, isn't it? But we're the same way. Maybe not to that extreme, but we all have pride of some sort. Um, I'll give you an example from my own life. I'm By trade, I am a carpenter. And I take great pride in that. And I, I do good work. But sometimes my pride in what I do for a living overshadows my concern for other people. And, and what I mean by that is I can look at somebody else's work and I kind of laugh behind my hand and make fun of them. Well, that's no way to be. That 
is pride creeping in. And we all let that happen at some point for some reason. We make excuses about it and we rationalize it so that it's okay for us to do it. When, when we look at this account of Naaman, um, two of the main characters, and maybe I shouldn't put it that way, the ones who stood out to me the most are the servant girl and Naaman. And that is a study in contrasts. Because the servant girl was taken out of her home. She was a slave in a foreign country. And yet she still pointed to God. And let's be honest, as Christians, if you're in here this morning and you're a Christian, that's what we're supposed to do. Um... When regardless of the situation we are in in life, and I don't know where everybody is, um, people have it tough. People go through hard things. But you know what? That really doesn't matter. The hard things and the trials and tribulation in our life is what God uses to make us more like Christ. So, as Christians, we need to stop bellyaching and making excuses and do what God has told us to do. And, you know, I, I heard how that sounded when I said it. And I know some of you are thinking, well, now hang on a second, Dave. You don't need to be telling me what to do. Okay, that's pride. That's pride that says that. And if you don't want to listen to me, that's fine. Let's look at some other passages of Scripture. One of my favorite is Micah 8, chapter 6, verse 8. And it says, it is, uh, I forgot it. God has told you what is good to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Another passage of Scripture, Matthew 4, 17, uh, is the first sermon that Christ preached. Does anybody know what it was? It was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the last one I'm going to share with you, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know if you noticed, but there are no conditions that are put on that passage of Scripture. It doesn't say if you feel like it. 
It doesn't say as long as you have your finances in order. It doesn't say as long as you're a good speaker. It doesn't say anything about how we feel or our position. We are told to go and make disciples. That's what we're told to do. We're supposed to be like the servant girl who told Naaman, there is a prophet in Israel who can heal you. She pointed to God. And that is, as Christians, our job is to point people to God. And regardless of what we might complain about or what our excuse might be, nobody in here has been abducted from their home, taken to a foreign land, and made a slave. Okay, so regardless of what position you're in in your life, you need to stop making excuses and do what God tells you to do. Point other people to Him. The other point that needs to be made about this passage of Scripture is to folks who may not know Jesus. Um, and this passage of Scripture has taught me more about humility than just about anything else I've read. Um, because when you look at the people who had interactions with Naaman, other than Elisha, they were humble. His servants went to him respectfully. You know, we... When we share Christ with people, we need to do that respectfully. So, you know, with as much respect as I can muster to anyone who doesn't know Christ as Savior, let go of your pride. Because your pride is what is keeping you from being cleansed of your sin. The same way pride is what kept Naaman from being cleansed of his leprosy. And, you know, the salvation that is offered, it may not be what's expected. You know, most often in the secular world, people expect to have to do something for their salvation. They expect to have to make a pilgrimage or read so much of the Bible or whatever text they follow or do certain things. Well... Salvation is very simple. Um, and it's not what a lot of people expect. You repent and you believe. And that's it. You believe that Christ is who He says He was. And Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And you know, Jesus didn't say, I am a way or a truth. He said, I am the way. That one article makes a world of difference. You can't follow Buddha and expect to go to heaven. Or Muhammad. Or John Smith. Or anyone else. 
because Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And this morning, as our musicians come to have our invitational hymn, I would like everybody to look at themselves honestly. Because honestly, we all have something to repent of. Every single one of us. Whether you're a Christian or not, you stand in need of repentance. And the only thing keeping you from that is your pride. Don't let your pride keep you from repentance or worship or a relationship with your Savior. And this morning, if you're here and you're not saved, don't allow your pride to keep you from the feet of Jesus.